Welcome to this, this series has been great, and I know we're just kicking it off, but it's been awesome. And if you missed last week, shame on you, because it really was kind of set us on the right uh, right frame to go through this whole series. So get online, uh, download that message. Here, Pastor Glenn kind of set us up for this, and uh, but you can do that after the service because we've got work to do here today, right? We're going to talk about the Old Testament. Who here has ever gone to a website and you've searched for more information about whatever that website might be? It's usually found in what? The FAQs, right? The Frequently Asked Questions. A lot of times when we seek the Old Testament, it is a little—it's a little ominous, a little confusing, it's a little too big to understand. So what we wanted to do is kind of break this message up into two parts. The first part is I'm going to give you as much information I can to answer all your questions. Probably not, but I'm going to try. Okay, I'm going to give you the framework, a cheat sheet, so to speak on how to deal with the Old Testament and how to answer those questions. And then we're going to spend some time talking about the overarching theme of the Old Testament and just hit it in broad strokes. And then hopefully, as God kind of moves among us today, that's been the prayer, that's been the hope. We've been praying for you, praying for this time, that God would really move and give us just something that we can use to spur us on deeper into our Bible reading and deeper into um, the Old Testament, um, hopefully today. So you ready? You ready? Well, let's jump right in. Hey, you guys got a little uh, cheat sheet in your uh, in your folder that you got on the way in, and inside of that, uh, on one side of that, is a particular timeline. We're going to get to that in just a moment. Um, uh, pastor Glenn mentioned to me that uh, John Ortberg, a famous pastor and author, he took one year and talked about every once a week, talked and worked his way through the whole Old Testament. I'm going to do it in 30 minutes. I'm going to try to do it in 30 minutes. Um, but what we want to do is just give you a, an idea of what you're going to find when you open up the Bible in the Old Testament. So let's, if we put up some, some uh, cheat sheet information, here are four main points that you kind of need to know before you crack open your Old Testament book. Who here has ever read something in the Old Testament? Who here is familiar with the, the stories of, of, uh, of Adam and Eve? Okay. Noah. Moses heard of him, right? Have you heard of, uh, of, uh, of Jonah? The story of Jonah in the, in the big fish, right? Most of our Old Testament knowledge has been, happens to be based upon Veggie Tales. If Veggie Tales makes the story, then we know it, right? Outside of that, we're completely lost. Uh, hey, we're hopefully give you an opportunity to go inside somewhere in the Bible that maybe you've never been. Maybe take some time and spend some time with Nahum, one of the minor prophets or Zephaniah, or Zechariah, or Malachi, the Italian prophet. It's Malachi, obviously. I'm sorry. Sorry, that's the last book of the Old Testament. But here's your cheat sheet. we got four things. There's 39 books that make up this sacred text. This sacred text has been the framework for the first and the third largest religions in the world today. If you are a Christian, if you are a Jew, you see these 39 books as God's holy, sacred text. And because it's a sacred text, it shows a certain amount of respect for it. It's old. It's reverent. There's, there's a certain power to it. It's seen not just as a simple book you'd pull off the, off the shelf at a library or you would buy at a bookstore. This is so much more because it's passed the test of time. It's been used by generations and generations, and it's, it has a certain amount of reverence and awe to it. And so what we're trying to do is not remove the awe, but to build into that, but also give you some, some ways to dive into these 39 books. It was written over the span of a thousand years. 
really the stories inside it are much older than that, are much longer than that. They were passed down for years and years and years through what we call oral tradition. And basically, this is how it worked. If you had a family, you would tell them the stories. And maybe you're putting your kids to bed at night. You would say, let me tell you the story of Jonah. Let me tell you the story of Moses. Let me tell you the story of Job. Let me tell you these stories of, of what God has done throughout history. And eventually someone who was actually literate wrote it down and copied these down. And that's a benefit for us because we get to experience that today. We have that in the Bible in front of you. You have that on your phones. You have that online. You have the, how many people here have 10 Bibles in their house, right? We have this because of their diligence to remember these stories and copy them down over the span of a thousand years. It was written pr primarily in Hebrew. Who here, who here can speak Hebrew? All right. Isn't that great that we don't have to speak Hebrew? It's, it's translated into English. Hebrew is a, is a very interesting language. It's a lot like Klingon, um, if you know that. And, uh, or maybe Klingon's a lot like Hebrew, I guess the right way to say it. Uh, it but it's a, it's a very uh, old language. And let me tell you, if you're interested in original language, the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. It was written on papyrus, which are like dried leaves. But the, if you're interested in original language, the New Testament was written in Greek, and there's a little bit of Aramaic in both of them. But if you're interested in that, you've got to come on Wednesday. Wednesday, I'm going to take some time. I'm going to give you some tools, some easy tools to use where you can interact with the original language. And sometimes you've missed some of the nuances of the original language. It's a, it's a great way to interact with Scripture. If you're interested in that, come back on Wednesday. If not, just trust the English translation. It is good stuff, and you'll get by. Finally, there are different types of books. Who here likes to read novels? Who here likes to read nonfiction? Who here likes to read mysteries? poetry. All of that seems to find its way into the Old Testament, but there are basically three main genres, three main types of books that you'll read. There's history books. These are actual events that happen. A lot of times we see the Old Testament especially as kind of this mystical fables that happened a long time ago. I can tell you, I don't have the time to do it, but I can show you historical proof that these events actually happened. That these Things are historical truth passed down from history. Now, this isn't just stories. This isn't just good ideas. This is actual truth and facts that how God interacted with his people over the span of, of years and years and years. So we have history. Those are found in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, and so much more. These events that unfold, I guarantee you will love to experience the way these read and the events that they read. If you've never worked your way through 1 and 2 Kings, try it. It's awesome. You'll hear stories you've never heard before. You'll hear stories that pastors have never preached on. VeggieTales hasn't touched it yet, so it's all brand new, right? You'll love it. So we have history books. More than that, you have poetry. Who here likes to read poetry? Poetry in the Old Testament is pretty much found in two forms. You have what are called psalms. Psalms were like the songbook of the Israel religion. It's like their hymn book. And they would write these songs down and they would sing them and they'd sing them at different times. They'd sing them in different groups. And, and it was a way for them to interact. But they were very, very poetic. You missed some of the, the, the art 
of the poetry in the English is, is found in the Hebrew. Well, we can help you see some of that come back on Sunday, but it's beautiful poetry. There's also a different kind of poetry called what we call wisdom literature. And these are kind of like truths and proverbs and um, little quips that you could kind of tweet out and put on Facebook. They're made perfectly for that. In fact, I believe they were probably the, the tweets that happened before Twitter ever existed are the Proverbs and the wisdom literature. So that's kind of those two forms. And then finally, you have what I call religious conversations, also known as prayers. And these are interactions with God's person, God's prophet, God's mouthpiece for the people. You see, the way God would work is he would speak through a prophet, and this prophet would proclaim truth, would, 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 pro, would, would speak God's word for the people, and then the people would react to the prophet, and then the prophet would go back to God. And so you have all these stories of, of their discourse, of their conversation copied down. Now, here's the great thing. If you get out that cheat sheet that I gave you, and you look at the one here that has like this vertical timeline, you know, the Bible, <coughs> excuse me, the Old Testament was not, is not in chronological order. It's grouped by type. And so, but this particular cheat sheet will help you. You can stick this in your Bible, or you can put this in a place that you might want to interact with it. If you want a digital form of this, I can send it to you maybe. Um, but basically, you have the different types made by these different vertical colors, different types of books. You have these white ovals that go all the way down. There's six of them that talk about these big key events. And then you have how, where the story fits within other books. So if you were reading the, the uh, prophet Zephaniah, which is in this section right here, you can see where that fits in the greater scheme of the Old Testament. It gives you an idea of where it fits and how it all fits together. Hopefully that will help you um, kind of understand the scripture. Now the scripture, the, the Bible, the Old Testament events were kind of wrapped up around the year 500 AD, and then there was a quiet time, an intertestamental time before we get to the New Testament. But what we want to talk about today then is just about all the events in the Old Testament that we can compile in like about 20 minutes. You ready? It's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. Here's how I want to start. Here's where I want to go. In fact, if you don't get anything else, you need to get this. Because what I want to do is talk about the overarching theme of not just the Old Testament, but all of Scripture. And this theme, these concepts, this timeline is so key for you that once you understand this, it's amazing how, how the Bible will come alive. Are you ready for it? It's summed up in four different uh, terms that kind of set a certain uh, um, process or order to things. And it starts over here with what we call creation. Now, you know about creation, right? You know about Adam and Eve, and you know about how God looking into creation and saying what? It is good, right? So you have God creating the world, right? You have perfect creation. And then we have the next slide come up. Up here on the screen, you have number two and number three. You have the fall. And the fall represents the breaking away from creation. So if creation is perfect, the fall is imperfect. If the creation is God and holiness, then the fall is, is sin and brokenness. But the story doesn't end there, praise the Lord, 
right? The story continues, and God's story always includes redemption, a covering, a payment for your sins, a turning around of the story. The story doesn't end with brokenness. It never ends with brokenness. God always redeems. Then the story concludes in the in the Bible with what we call regeneration or recreation or restoration. That's what it says. In other words, God is going to make his creation all over again and restore everything to the order that he had intended to do in creation. And this is so key. We talked about last week on why we, we need to learn the Bible, love the Bible, and live the Bible, and how we want that. And this is why you need that, because this story isn't just the story of the Bible. This four elements aren't just the story of God. This is your story. This is you. Because every one of you know about creation. Every one of you have been out in nature and have seen the beauty of mountains or the vastness of an ocean, the stillness of a lake and a pond, and yes, maybe even the beauty of snow, even though it melted yesterday. We all see this, the beauty of creation, and it gives us a sense, a glimpse of something perfect, something beyond ourselves, something that maybe we don't fully understand, but we know it's something better. If you have children, you see this in your children. You see this in a baby's laugh, a baby's smile, the wonder in their eyes, the innocence. And you look at them and you think, wow. That's so much better than anything I can ever offer, right? When you take those same beautiful, wonderful children, if you were to to pick five of the most beautiful children in the world, blue-eyed, brown-eyed, it doesn't matter, uh, just the awesomest kids, innocence and, and wonder and joy, and you take five of them and you put them in our church nursery, and you give them one toy. Then you have the fall. <laughs> and we all know about the fall. Because every one of our lives is broken. Every one of our lives is just not full enough. Every one of our lives has, has hurt or pain. And everyone here, everyone will eventually die. We live in a broken world. And we understand that. Take God and the Bible out of the picture for just a moment. Do you hear your story? You can't deny that there's something bigger than yourself in creation. And you can't deny the fact that our world, your world, my life, your life is messed up and fallen. But the story doesn't end there. Your story doesn't end there. Because we have the opportunity for redemption. We have the opportunity to have something positive in the midst of this nastiness and sin and brokenness. Something turns it around. I read an article just this week. It was put out by Google. And Google interviewed so many people in the, in the United States that were employed. And they asked them about how satisfied, how fulfilled they were in their job. And what brought them that fulfillment. 
And the number one thing that brought them the most fulfillment in that was the idea if they were making a difference, if they were part of something bigger and better than themselves. Do you see, in the midst of us, we are created. We all understand that, yes, we can see perfectness, and we know fall and brokenness, but we know what fixes that is love and giving back and something bigger than ourselves. Now, in the scripture, we know that this love, this giving back, this power that redeems us is the power of God. And God's story goes like this. I will create something, and it is beautiful. And I will create the world, and I will create the heavens, and I will create the sun and the moon and the stars, and I will create man, and I will create woman, and it is good. Because he loved, his love, his essence created that. But love doesn't stop there. He loves us, and his essence is love. And so therefore, he can't require us to love him in return, because that's not love. You can't make someone love you. That's not love, right? So he gives the possibility of another choice, another opportunity, because he wants us to choose him. And in doing that, he, pr he produced the possibility for brokenness and for sin and for the fall. But God in his love says that's not the end of the story. I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to bring them back to myself. And then ultimately, ultimately, I will, I got it right this time, restore all of creation to itself. Everything in the world will be restored back to the way I intended it. Now this is beautiful. Because we can all see ourselves in the midst of this story. But let's open up the Old Testament and let's understand where that book where those books fit in this timeline. We have creation, right? We already talked about it. Adam and Eve. And you've got a few psalms that mention about the beauty of creation. And you've got a couple different passages that talk about things that happened before creation, like the fall of Satan. But the majority of the Old Testament is tied up. The creation is two chapters. Two chapters of one book. And, the, and then... If you go to the other side of the timeline, in the Old Testament, you have very little information about the, the restoration of creation, the recreation. You don't have that. You have a glimpse of an, of an idea, a glimpse of a hope, a, 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 a something that's not quite fulfilled, that's going to happen down the road. And this, ultimately, is going to be fulfilled. And you'll hear about it, especially next week when you come, because when we talk about restoration, we talk about one person, one word, it's Jesus. And in the Old Testament, you just get a glimpse. You just get a taste. You get like a faded picture of something that makes you want more. But the rest of the Old Testament is tied into these two realms, fall and redemption. We are messed up 
And what's God going to do about it to redeem us and forgive our sins and fix our brokenness? And the beauty about that is the Old Testament is mostly tied up into those two. Your lives are mostly tied up into those two, aren't they? So when you read the Old Testament, it's your story. You can recognize it. When you read the story of David, who goes up and sees a naked woman and has makes decisions based upon those desires and urges, you understand that because we understand fall and brokenness. And when you read the story of Saul and all his insecurities about himself and being jealous and being wanting to be something different, even though he looks awesome on the outside, he's a mess on the inside, you can hear that. You can understand that. You know people like that. You maybe are like that. And so we insert ourselves into the Old Testament and we say, wow, this isn't just great stories. This is my story. So how does God in the Old Testament deal with this idea of fall and then redemption? How does God, what does God do to fix that problem? Well, basically what God does is he enters into a deeper relationship with man with woman, with culture, with people. He enters into a, 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 a deeper relationship and it's framed and it's marked and it's combined with an idea of what we call a promise, a vow, a covenant. In fact, the, old, the word testament, Old Testament, means covenant. It means vow. It means promise. God says, I'm not going to leave you messed up Here's how we're going to fix it. Here's how I'm going to jump into your story because I'm not leaving you where you are because I love you and I can't do anything other but love you because that's who I am. And I'm going to fix your problem. Here's how we do it. And through the Old Testament, you hear this motif. These words come true several, several times where God says, pulls his people together, pulls a leader, a representative from his people, pulls a mouthpiece for his people to speak to his people. And this is how he says, this is what he says. Can we put that first verse up? He says this. This is just an example of one from Exodus. It says, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. What he's saying is, here's how it works. Here's how you get redeemed. Here's how your story continues so you don't stay in the fallen realm. Here's how you move along. I will be God and you will be people. I will God, you people. I God, you people. Sometimes he simplifies it because we don't quite get it, right? And don't mix up the roles. And if you think about it, that's where we mess our lives up even today. We say, no, 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 God. I'm God. I'm God of my life. I'm God of my family. I'm God of my future. I'm God of my job. I got this. And what happens? Brokenness. And so God says, I tell you what, you define yourself as my people and I will be your God. And here's the amazing thing. 
amazing thing about this is in doing this, he creates this new relationship, this new connection that you can read about in all the Old Testament about covenant people and covenant God. You have a covenant people, a testament people, a people that live by vow to God to be his people. And you have a covenant God who says, I will be your God. And on this level, you have a covenant people, and it's defined in these simple realms. This is how it frames it. He says, I tell you what, worship me. See me as God. And how that worked out in the Old Testament was offering sacrifices, killing something, offering part of your grain, killing an animal. Sometimes it was bloody. But that's how he defined worship. That's how he defined connection, honoring God through that. And then he also said, you need to be my people. You need to operate and act in a certain way. Especially when it comes to dealing with other people. Because you living like you're your own God is making you fallen. So here's what's going to happen. Honor your parents and your family. Don't sleep with your neighbor's wife. Don't steal. Don't kill. You see? The reason he's setting those rules up is to, is to set them apart, to set them up as different than the world around them. You don't do what's right, what you think is right. You do what I set you up as, not because I want you to live by my rules and I'm a mean God, and if you mess up, I'm smacking you over the head. That's not it at all. I love you. But a covenant person worships me and observes my laws. And what does a covenant God do? Well, a covenant God does amazing things. In fact, in this Exodus verse, before this, this is what he says. Now, he's talking to Moses. His people are in slavery in Egypt. In Egypt. You know, Yul Brynner, bald head. You guys have seen it, right? You know, that guy. And he says to them, he says, you know what? I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you. Guess what? You're getting freed. No longer slaves. I'm setting you free. Why? Because I am God. And that's what God is saying. I love you. He said, and not just that. I got a perfect place picked out for you. It was picked out a long time ago. When I made my first connection, my first relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I picked out a place for you. You're going there. It's awesome. It's, it's going to be great. Just follow me. Just be my people. And then they wander through, and they don't. They don't. They, they mess it up again. They try to be their God. They, try to, they mess up this role. And if we go to, to the um, Leviticus section, he says to them, this is right before they go into the promised land. And he, sa he says it again. Hey, let's, 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 let's re-up on this relationship. Let's re-up on this connection. I am God. You'll be my people. Let's do it all over again. And he says, here's what I need out of you. I need you to worship me. I need you to observe my laws as a sign to the culture around you. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the best farmland this land has ever heard. I'm going to set you guys up for life financially. You know what? I'm going to make your kids and your nation be so much that you can't even count on it. Why? I'm God. I love you. I'm not going to hate you. I'm going to pour my love out on you. That's what I will do. You do that. I'll do this. Well, fast forward. 
fast forward several, several, several years. And we have them choosing to be God all over again. Running away from the God who loves them and cares for them and wants the best for them. And then ultimately their life, their um, existence is come, outside forces come in and steal them away. And they're taken as exiles and slaves to another country. And there's a person, a prophet, a God's mouthpiece who speaks to them. And, and God pulls Jeremiah aside and says, hey, hey, go, go talk to my people again. I haven't forgotten them. I still love them. That's still, still who I am. So maybe I can re-up again in this relationship. And this is what he says. He says, after a big, long discourse of, hey, I'm bringing you back from that, that land. And I'm going to set up a new land and a new people. And, and I'm going I'm to treat you justly. I'm going to treat you awesome. And it's going to be awesome. And awesome. It's just going to be great. So, so here's where it is. Here's the kind of the, the sum of it all is, so you will be my people. And I will be your God. Deal? You ready? And you read about this all throughout the Old Testament. And you read our stories, and you can see them happening right there in front of us. And here's the most beautiful thing about the Old Testament that I can possibly say. Is, yes, all of this is true. And it's God's plan to be in relationship and covenant with his people. But he knows that that only leaves people wanting something more. And so on the top line, you have this number one plan. I will be God, you will be people. But underneath, working behind the scenes is something awesome and something unbelievable. And every once in a while, through this thread, throughout the whole Old Testament, we get a glimpse, we get a, an, an opening. It's almost like a pipe that runs underneath the ground. And every once in a while, we get a break in the ground and we see a little idea of what's down there. And it's beautiful and it's glorious because all of this is happening in the Old Testament to set up something that will change the world forever, that will change you forever, that will change me forever. Because all throughout the Old Testament, God's original plan is to restore everything. And what did I say is restore? Jesus. Jesus is the answer. And even though we don't get it in the Old Testament, we don't see it. That's his ultimate plan. That's his ultimate plan. So we're going to close with this song. Okay? We're going to close with a, with a song, and maybe you've sung this before. And this song ha happens to, to be taken from a section of the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 6. Let me set up this story, because this song was written with this particular story in mind. And I think it's got some real truth that we can kind of just grab, grab a hold of as we kind of drill down at the very end here today. This is the story. It goes like this. So Elisha, remember the name Elisha? Elisha was the prophet at the time. And he wasn't quite getting along with God's, the, the people around him. Okay, In fact, he, sometimes he flew in the face of authority because they were choosing to be God, not God's people. And he was trying to set them straight and, and line them back up. And so ultimately an army circles them 
and it's him and Elisha's assistant, Elisha's apprentice. And they're locked up in this house, and they look out, and they see the forces all around them, surrounding them. Armies, chariots, swords, and shields. And they're bloodthirsty. They've come for one reason, and one reason only, to take them out and end their existence. And the apprentice comes to Elisha, freaking out, unbelievably scared and afraid. And I wonder if we've ever been scared, afraid. I don't know what's going on. This doesn't seem like God's got this worked out. This is freaky. This this is scary. He looks to Elisha, and Elisha, he's a little strange anyway. Totally calm. And Elisha's response is beautiful. Elisha's response is he, he, he prays. Now, he doesn't pray that God would come and nuke all the bad army. He doesn't pray that. He prays for his apprentice. He doesn't pray that his apprentice would be strong and get all this strength to go take out the army. He doesn't pray for that. He says, dear God, show yourself to him. Reveal yourself to him. And in a supernatural answer to prayer, the apprentice walks out the door and looks to the hills. And surrounding the surrounding army are angel chariots, angel army, angel forces that vastly outnumber the surrounding army. And in that moment, the apprentice says, wow, God's got us. God's got this. God's in control, even though I can't see it. In that moment, there's an answer to prayer, and he sees it. So our prayer, my prayer for you today is not that God solves all your problems. It's not that you read some magical verse in the Old Testament that will change your life, and you can put it up on your bumper sticker or put it up write it on your mirror or whatever and live by. I don't, I, none of that. Here's, here's all that I want for you. Here's all that I pray for you. Is that you see God today. That you see God every time you open up the Old Testament in the Bible. That you see him. And then when you're going through it, and some of you are going through it right now, when you're facing and you feel surrounded and you feel outnumbered and you feel like panicking, you feel like freaking out, you know that the God of angel armies is your friend, that the God of angel armies loves you, that the God of angel armies has a plan that goes beyond creation, beyond your mistakes, beyond your own redemption, and ultimately will restore all things to himself, including you in your brokenness and your pain. And why? stinking loves you. Loves you. Father, come now and speak to us. 
as we sing this song, be the God of angel armies. We pray that you would communicate in ways that we cannot, that you would show yourself and reveal yourself to your people. Some people need today need to re-up in their covenant with you and say, yes, God, I will make you God of my life. I will be your follower. I will be your person. And I pray for the individual that's in, that feels surrounded, that feels utterly afraid about what this life's going to bring them this week or today. I pray that the God of angel armies, the general Jesus Christ, would come into their lives and reveal himself and only that he can. Father, we pray for your presence and your glory to be revealed here, right now. In Jesus' name.